to another episode of the Banter Pub FC podcast, the sauciest team in the game and the spiciest takes on the pitch. In the pub today, we have Adam, we have Jonathan, we have Joseph, we have Ama, and of course, we have the resident captain, myself, Neil. Uh, we have a lot of stuff we're going to cover, uh, a lot of segments, a lot of stuff to talk about. Not going to give any spoilers. However, we are going to talk about some pretty intense topics, so trigger warning out of the gate, and we're going to provide a trigger warning right before, uh, again, right before we discuss uh, some pretty heinous sexual violence stuff, and we like to give trigger warnings at, at, at before, during, and after. Um, so let's get started with our regular around the pitch. Gentlemen, um, obviously, uh, I think some of the biggest news out of uh, the Prem I guess in the past two weeks, um, outside of the fact that Frank Lampard got sacked and got replaced by an actual tactical person who actually cares about black players, um, was uh, this Burnley FC news, right? Um, Burnley, for those that don't know, uh, we like to call it, and many folks in the black soccer space call Burnley FC, White Lives Matter, Brexit FC, um, you know, they are, for all intents and purposes, you know, that white club. And make, I can't miss make words great again. Pretty make much. AGB great again. Brexit Pretty time. Much. So the fact that they're in debt, I mean, obviously it's... Um, <laughs> it would be funny if it wasn't so sad, but I guess it's more funny than anything else. Um, th- this is a club that you know, has a pretty staunch history of surviving in the Prem, and they've been in the Prem for several seasons now. Um, and you would think they've been able to, you know, you know they've been consistently mid-table, um, haven't really cracked the top six in a considerable amount of time, uh, certainly and certainly won't this season by the end of it, um, because they just don't have the talent. Um, and the fact that they're hemorrhaging money is not a surprise to me. What, what so what does everybody else think um i would say it's kind of interesting obviously we're all in a pandemic globally and it's the fallout we've definitely touched upon in terms of the soccer world and how much they've lost money because of the pandemic and obviously not having folks in the seats but this one is particularly interesting to me just because of the fact like we i mean we see it here in the u.s in terms of uh, just our retail and loads of our businesses, especially retail, are falling down because all of these venture capital firms buy it with buy these firms with leveraged debt, 
and then expect the company to make enough profit to pay off the debt. And then they profit. And it looks like that's exactly what this U.S.-led consortium did to try to buy Burnley. They valued Burnley as something valuable because the Premier League is really the most valuable league in the world. And they said, well, let's get this. And as you pointed out, Neil, regularly performing mid-table team. You know you're going to get the TV revenue at least. We can buy this team with the debt. But of course, with the pandemic, (laughs) um, you're not making the same money anymore. And now you're hemorrhaging money. They basically have like... um, Money funded by, I think it's a, 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 like, so the the purchase was funded by a loan from an investment firm that's led by Michael Dell. Uh, so they basically have a mortgage on, like, Turf Moor and the club. And it's not like they were, like, their money's really, like, TV revenue. And when it's dropping off and they're not getting fans in the stands. I mean, I think, Neil, you can attest to this, too. Um, with uh, the Glazers and Man U. I think they did kind of the same thing, but the Glazers are in a much better financial position to at least, and Man U is in a much better financial position, obviously, but I think they have like a half billion that they put on of debt to Man U. So it's just these U.S.-led teams, owners, just doing what they do in the U.S. with their other businesses and just potentially wrecking um, teams with history and lore (laughs) just because they're trying to make a quick buck. And I, and I think just to add to your point, Adam, like, you know, you used a great example of the Glazers. Like, it's something that, at least in the Prem, has been talked about consistently is American money kind of ruining uh, the, the league, right? These billionaires and millionaires and princes, in the case of Manchester City, um, who, um, and that's not a dig. Uh, Jonathan, that's the truth. Like these, uh, mm-hmm. these, <laughs> these, these player, these you know, these owners um, who will just frame them. This like ownership class um, is just. <laughs> I don't understand how. Uh, I mean, obviously, capitalism is to blame, right? But it's really infuriating um, to see. American influence kind of take over a sport, another sport. Um, and there isn't a significant enough interest in, in anything other than turning over a profit. It almost seems like the ownership class has no interest in actually the, whether or not the club is successful. Um, and they kind of measure success, not even in where the team ends up at the end of the season whether they won a title or not, whether they're in the top four, whether they're in the Champions League, whether they've made, they made it to the Europa League, that doesn't matter. Um, they just care about the almighty dollar. Um, we've talked ad nauseum in, in, you know, in the previous season, and we're going to re-mention it again. Like We are not your pro-capitalism podcast, certainly not as it relates to the beautiful game. And you know, this is just another example. You have a, you have a city and a club um, that is, uh, you know, struggling. Um, and part of me uh, is upset, but the other part of me is like, you know, this is what Burnley deserves. Um, yes, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell. <laughs> I, I, oh, I, who doesn't love a bit of major pain? <laughs> I just find it amazing, you know that given 
we're in a pandemic, like Adam said, and the fact that, you know, this past week, week and a half, we, Wall Street has been so embroiled in, in scandal and particularly exposing how hedge funds uh, with short stocks, how they, they, wait, they wait for companies' downfalls to, to make a bunch of money, um, that this can be allowed to happen and continue to be allowed to happen. Uh, like like hedge funds investors are are waiting for clubs to just to go down so they can they can make profit off of it some way shape or form in that sense and maybe this is not related in that sense but the same uh, I don't want to say immoral but it just feels like immoral practices and you know again Brexit FC is Brexit FC that's one thing but this could happen to any any club really any club that doesn't have that. Um, white lives matter type environment to it because like you're saying neil like they only think about the profit they don't think about the supporters that love the club i've I've been with the club for generations they don't think about that and it's just really disturbing to see that um happen in in real time Um, it sucks it had to be burnley because i don't like them but you know it could happen to you know wimbledon it could happen to it could happen to Arsenal at one point. It could happen to City at one at some point. You know, these things are just really disturbing. Well, the worst has already happened to Wimbledon. That's the reason why AFC Wimbledon exists. They are in Milton Keynes. The guy who owned them took them to Milton Keynes against the will of and the desires of every, possibly every supporter <laughs> possible of, That's right. of Wimbledon. I mean, this is a club that this is a club that um, that famously, you know, won the FA Cup with the most unruly chaotic side. And Vinnie Jones was still playing football back then, by the way. Um, he was part of that cup winning side. And the, um, I can't remember his name, but he decided to move them to Milton Keynes as if there was an appetite for football in Milton Keynes like that. Uh, you know, certainly not when you had Wimbledon already knocking about one of the, one of the most beloved clubs in London, you know, moving to places outside of London, and he did that purely for profit. He did that purely for gain. He was he he, he. and that brings me to a couple of other examples that need to be mentioned because Jonathan is right. It can happen to anybody out here. I'll tell you who it's happened to before. Remember when Gillette and Hicks took over Liverpool in two thousand seven? You remember that? No, you don't? Okay, cool. Let me go ahead and remind you. Tom Hicks and George Gillette, they bought Liverpool Football Club in 2007. They bought it for £218.9 million, I believe it was. They also promised that they were going to work on a new stadium in Stanley Park. Now, Stanley Park is the divider between Anfield and Goodison Park, right? Like, that's supposed to be the bit that separates the Liverpoolians from the Evertonians. And they were talking about building a new ground right there. Now, there was also talk about doing a ground share, San Siro style, like uh, Inter Milan and AC Milan do. Um, But they didn't really, like, take off. So, obviously, because knowing the history between Everton and Liverpool, there's no way that Everton would agree to share a ground again. (laughs) with Liverpool Football Club is just not happening so there's that Um, by the time it was all said and done Liverpool were almost if they weren't actually in administration 
they had almost bankrupted the club, essentially. Um, they struggled for years to sell them. They're, this is also during the infamous Ray, um, Roy Hodgson era, where the, the club performed the worst in the league in, 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 it had done in a while. Um, like, they had loaded um, the club's... Lo- the. the the clubs, the clubs' loans were so bad with RBS that it was placed in their toxic assets division. <laughs> like that is when John W. Henry, um, the guy who owns uh, Boston Red Sox, um, started their new Fenway Sports venture, and that's when they stepped in to take over the club. Since then, at least financially speaking, Liverpool has been much more financially responsible. Um, but obviously the Klopp curse has kicked in and I don't know why their man thought they were going to go and become a dynasty, but that's, that's that Liverpool delusion for you. So there you go. But it's also happened to Aston Villa. Randy Lerner, if you remember, bought Aston Villa a year before Tom Hicks and George Gillette got Liverpool in 2006. He owned it for 10 years and he left with over $250 million in expenses. Really interesting uh, retrospective from the Wall Street Journal about that. Um, And then now we've got this Burnley mess. So this is another U.S. takeover of a Premier League club where it's going tits up. And this is something that people are actually starting to ask questions about. Because when it comes right down to it, the Premier League is very foreign foreign ownership friendly. I mean, look at Leicester, look at Chelsea. Look at Manchester United with the Glazers and that financial situation is still kind of ongoing, especially when you consider the Glazers borrow against the club as their own asset and use that money for whatever is non-Man United related. Much to the chagrin of, you know, green and gold Man United supporters anyway. Um, the, the, the Bucks are in the Super Bowl now, for a reason. I wasn't going to say it, but boy, Tom Brady is playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for a reason. Where did you think they got that money from, fam? It certainly was not from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers gate receipts. (laughs) So let's keep it a bean. Let's keep it a bean, kids. You love up capitalism and you love up private ownership and you love defending the rich, you know, because you think that if you work hard just enough, you'll be as rich as them. That's not how anything works, children. That's number one. Number two, um, they don't love your club as much as you do. Let's talk about that. They only see it as an asset. And if this game stonks thing is anything to be learned from, they are deliberately depreciating your value so that they can make money on the upswing. But when they do so, they've got people to pay back because they did not front all that capital themselves. you got to know that this game is just that. It's a game, okay? When you start talking business and you start talking money, these people did not work hard for everything they've got. They've worked hard at their networks to be able to be in the same meetings and same places as the people that they eventually want to do business with. And by business, I mean borrow money from. And then when they borrow those money, that money, whether it's from a hedge fund or from a venture capital um, uh, firm, as as Adam was talking about earlier, they have to pay them back, but they get to keep the profits. This thing is rigged. 
Do you understand? This is they're set up to fail. And if the club goes down, they still don't lose. Do you understand? So I need people right. to really take this private ownership thing seriously. They are making money off of the thing you love. Just like your employer makes money off of your labor and only pays you a fraction of the profits that your labor has generated. These people who take over football clubs do so with the expressed purpose of making as much money as possible for them, not you. Not Crystal for Palace. any other reason. Crystal, look, Portsmouth. Portsmouth is another massive, 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 massive cautionary tale. Sunderland is a massive cautionary tale. Them man still have a Netflix deal. You better go watch Sunderland till I die if you want an education as to what you can look forward to when private ownership goes wrong. Uh, let's talk you about Fulham. <laughs> Baby, Fulham. Oh my God. Like, the, just, there are you know, only, what, what? There are only five teams currently in the Premier League. That a majority owned by British or UK based individuals or companies. There are nine um, Premier League teams that have some sort of American interest, including, I think, the only one of the tops or the big six, as we call it, the only one of the big six I can think of that has British ownership is Tottenham. Um, everybody else has some yes, sort of. Tottenham. And then, um, I mean, even if you look at who the top six are now, I mean, Leicester has a tie owner. Um, obviously Chelsea, we know has mm -hmm. a Russian owner. We know, um, mm -hmm. as far down as, um, I think Wolverhampton is technically Chinese. Um, so I mean, but those different places, I think West Brom's even a majority owned by, uh, somebody from China. Um, so China, yeah, China's exactly. been getting in. China's been yeah, getting involved purely because it's it's the money grab, just like you pointed out. It's it's they all looked at money it. Grab. The Premier League is the most valuable league in the in the world. They get to they sell their rights for the most money every time out, even if they're not necessarily the best quality league. But they speak English. They have the history. They have the you know they can build those worldwide brands. And all those people saw it and said, hey. We can make money off this, and we're we don't care about if we're going to potentially corrupt your history because they don't care about that. They just care about the money, and that's all it's about. Really quickly, just before we move on to the watch along, because it's a convenient segue, we do have to mention Arsenal as well. Um, I think that's something that is that is important. Arsenal is owned, as everybody knows, by the Cronkies, the Cronkie Sports Group. Do you know what I mean? Um, and they too. There's questions that have been asked by us here at the Banter Pub, especially from the Arsenal uh, supporters, about oh, about the money. <laughs> the Arsenal, about where's the, where's the, the, the money? The Crankies have made, for anybody who does not know, who might have missed the earlier episode, it's Stan and Anne Cranky. Anne's full name is Anne Walton Cranky because she's a daughter of the founder of Walmart. She's made $1.1 billion since the pandemic started in her wealth. And yet Arsenal was Austerity FC because we had to do... And granted, they, they bought Arsenal way back. They didn't do the leverage buyout because they're so rich, they didn't need to do it. But they also said, we spent all of our money. 
So we're going to mortgage everything to do anything good. So we've been repaying. It's honestly amazing that Arsene Wenger kept us in the top four all that time when we were paying off debts to build our wonderful stadium. I'm sure I can't wait to visit it one day. But meanwhile, meanwhile, meanwhile you couldn't even right. You're like, why are we challenging for championships? Because, well, we're repaying this debt on this fancy new stadium because our owners didn't want to put out the money for it. Um, and that's just yeah, that's just unfortunately the way it is. And that's how the cookie crumbles. So um, but speaking of billionaires, we do want to mention our billionaire owners going against billionaire owners. Um, we are having a watch along on Sunday. Uh, watching Liverpool, owned by Fenway Sports Group, and uh, going against Manchester City. Uh, a big one, uh, big title race implications um, in the Premier League this year. Uh, definitely Liverpool coming off the championship. Man City looking to uh, reclaim the title that they lost. Um, so it has some serious implications in Anfield. We hope you guys can uh, join us. Um, we'll be watching along here on the Discord server. So uh, please. Uh, what, what do you guys think about uh, uh, the match coming up? Liverpool, them boys are done out here, man. They are done. <laughs> and we about to put the nail in the car. Yeah, they're done. I'm so excited. Yeah, they're, they're done. Uh, no, like, they're done. They're definitely uh, done. I can't see Liverpool turning over City on this one. Um, as much as I would love to see it, it, to a certain degree, just to make sure that the top, you know, the title race stays tight all the way through to the end, because I would like to see a dramatic finish. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, nah, I, um, <laughs> Liverpool are done out here, fam. I'm just still laughing at the fact that people thought that Liverpool supporters genuinely thought that they were going to turn into a dynasty. Like, they genuinely thought that and they have absolutely no reason to. There was nothing to substantiate that whatsoever. Like they took advantage of what was one of the like most non-competitive Premier League seasons in recent memory. And then the very next season, they couldn't go again, like we knew would happen, because that's what happens with Klopp sides. They storm their way to a title, and then they drop off the following season. That's what happens. Like, I, I don't know. But that's just kind of where I'm at with it. I think City are going to absolutely wipe them. I think it's going to be, it's not going to be a forgiving scoreline, to tell you the truth. They're going to make mincemeat of that back line. As the United supporter with United currently sitting in second with three points with with City with a game in hand and United three points behind them at the moment and a goal difference that we uh, uh, kind of crept up on uh, City a little bit um, recently. And we'll talk about that match in a moment. But, um, you know, I want uh, (laughs) it's tough. Because <laughs> it's two rivals playing against each other, one of whom is at the top of the table, and the other one is sitting uh, in fourth. And I would obviously much rather have West Ham in fourth than I would Liverpool, uh, obviously uh, because Moisey is the manager at West Ham, and we have Jesse Lingard there on loan. Um, but, you know... I, I don't know how I'm going to, like, it's one of those kind of situations where I kind of wish, you know, um, the pitch swallowed both clubs whole. I know that's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> and uh, all the points that were supposed to be ceded to City or ceded to Liverpool got ceded to United because both, both clubs disappeared, kind of like in The Dark Knight Rises. Um, uh, <laughs> but 
obviously that's not going to happen. So, so, you know, I'm going to be a conscious observer kind of watching it, paying attention to United's own match, obviously. Um, and yeah, I, I don't necessarily want a bloodbath either way. Um, if City can just make it a 1-0 win, that I'd be happy with that because that would make the, that would make the goal difference even easier because the last thing we need is City to win a title on goal difference. So. And yeah, I mean, it was a big week when you look at it for Man U. Um, big match against Arsenal to start the week. And then, as you alluded to, Neil, that uh, running out of town. But we definitely have to start with that, like, Arsenal-Man U match, which uh, was a big one playing out in the rain. Um, it was. It was. Uh, and I mean, a bit. I mean, I know we're all the. We have three Arsenal supporters on, on the podcast. So, um, but uh, how does everybody feel about how how that match went? I mean, I know for me, it was uh, kind of a. Uh, it was, um, yeah, interesting. I guess. <laughs> I would say uh, I, 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 I was proud as an Arsenal supporter because I mean we were away and we held on. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, like I, I thought it was a well-earned point, no, especially no, we were missing a considerable, uh, some of our top players. So, um, we were, we were, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cause, we, cause we beat players. them away. It felt like we were away. Yeah. <laughs> we beat them, but we beat them away last, you know, with our earlier season watch along. So I won't forget that. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, a, a, yeah, win so, Tra- a win at Old Trafford is always good. It's always a good sign for Arsenal as well, because you know, sometimes we win things at Old Trafford. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, you know. Wow. Well, you're not going to win anything at Old Trafford this season because you're out of the FA Cup. You're, you know, only in the Europa League, and um, um and the final is not going to be played. You know, here. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. you know, we, we, we still beat Ooh. you on your own patch this season. Um, came to our house, fouled up the place, couldn't find the net. And I say, okay, you know, it was a fair result given how things went. Um, but I think it was like one of the more entertaining nil-nil draws that you've seen. I think um, Liverpool City did one earlier in the season that was super trash um, given all the attacking talent that they had. So, um, you know, we had a little bit of squad rotation happening and – we put out a strong team, and um, I, who do I think played well? Smith Rowe played well. Freaking Granite Shaka and uh, Nicholas Pepe. Pepe both showed up. Well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like it was a it was a good match overall. Like, and um, you know, I, I I look forward to more of these kinds of matchups, wherein um, you know we walk into. A contest with the top six team, and we're looking to not just hold our own, but to walk away with the victory. So this is a good sign. Um, we're still, you know, the transfer window wasn't done, but you know, some of the moves had been executed already. It was, it, it was a good, it was a good time, and especially with the folks that dropped in to watch, uh, watch along with us. I think that that made it even uh, an even better experience. Yeah, certainly. Um, uh, from from a United perspective, obvi- perspective, obviously we wanted to come away with three points. We were unable to. Um, the watch along was definitely uh, enticing. 
Um, at one point, it actually evened out to where we had the same amount of United supporters as we did Arsenal. And we obviously had several who were no- neutral. Um, but it usually is Arsenal, at least the first watch along that we did of that match was heavy on the Arsenal side. And it was great to see that we were able to even things out a little bit. Um, uh, you know, it's one of the great things about our community um, that we're able to have diverse voices um, talking and loving on the beautiful game. And it's something that I really appreciate that we have a, have an imprint of, uh, you know, in our, in this wide world of the beautiful game space um, that we're able to kind of make that imprint, you know? Um, But, you know, the game was the, as the saying it goes, the game was the game, right? <laughs> uh, we um, really didn't have, you know, uh, there were several mischances from several uh, of United's uh, prolific players um, and uh, several chances that were missed. Uh, I don't think we put up the strongest side that we could have. Um, you know, I... I I, I wanted to, you know, considering that we were going to see the debut of uh, new Arsenal Loney Martin Guard, considering that Arsenal was going to was literally playing with the relief off of their shoulders of of um, Ozil, not just from a monetary standpoint, but also just from a you know that kind of cloud hanging over the club's head. Um, and we hadn't, and we, and we were still shifting some Deadwood out. And we hadn't done that yet. So we were kind of playing with a little bit of backlog, I think, a little bit. And it showed on the pitch. Um, but it didn't show, <laughs> conversely, uh, for Arsenal. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, for the Arsenal supporters on the show, um, the following, uh, you know, obviously, the, the, I, think the, I think the big match for, for y'all out of the, you know, the, the big conversial point um, that stoked a lot of controversy online before, during, and after the match was Arsenal Wolves. Um, oh, gosh, um, yeah. I, you know, I know, I know it's right now still a stinging point for y'all. So it I was, won't necessarily oh, dig in, you know, oh, dig in pour, the pour, pour the salt, pour the salt of the wound, uh, sir. Uh, sure. No, listen. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think there's. I don't think that's necessary. But it's we not, can definitely not, call I'm, it yeah, one I'm of the. We can definitely call it what it was, and that was one of the most disheartening collapses and self implosions that I think a side has ever, truly, ever had. Truly, it was. It, we were in full control for at least it forty-four was minutes. A beautiful forty-five. I'm going to go the full forty-five because that the first red card is you know what, in the forty-six. Right. It's forty. I mean, well, and David like, Luiz should not have been sent off. That's just there's just. Right, I mean, I true. hope that David Luiz gets his red card rescinded because that should not have. No, been. They, lost, no they actually no. lost the appeal. So no. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Let, let, let's let's take it in, in order, right? Like because like you're you're jumping to the red card. Let's talk about the performance from Bukayo Saka. Scored a goal that was ruled offside. Early, he hit it the was, bar. Early. The first forty-five was incredible. Like they were uh, on, they were firing on all cylinders. It was all like, cylinders. We should have, like, honestly, coming out of that half, not having two or three was actually a disappointment. And I actually right. went away and came back like, "What red card?" Like I walked away because I had a phone call and came back and was like, "What?" Like 
coming out of that half not being up to nothing even like there were there was a missed chance by Pepe that just went wide the Bukayo Saka a, a, a couple it was offside but a couple steps you know before VAR would have counted yeah um, he hit the post too he hit the post right, as another well. one right it was two or three that it was like we should have been up like safely. We were all over um, them like a rash. It was so so good. Like you know, it, I mean, and then of course that's the kind of performance you want to see after. Got to talk about the oh. goal. Some, I'm sorry, Pepe's somebody, goal? Pepe's goal. Of course, Pepe's goal. Of course. <laughs> Listen, I have I I've told you, man, from time and again. I know everybody loves to clown Nicola Pepe and clown mm. Arsenal supporters and clown Arsenal for how much they bought him. But I will maintain this even when he's not playing for us anymore, which I don't think is going to happen anytime soon, mind. But when that kid is confident, he's the most dangerous Ooh. player on the pitch. Those Period. glasses are brilliant, there is n- man. He, Yo, when he's confident, he's Nelson Semedo. Like, I'm sorry, bro. Absolutely no. made mincemeat of somebody who's no slouch back there as a right back, by the way. Let's or left back, I think he's. Is it left? Back? He's, no, right he's, back. He's, right back. Oh, no, he's right. He's right. He's but right. There's a reason Barcelona no, sold because. Him. <laughs> well. Yeah, he 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 went home and you know he had to like do a cleansing because he think just about his entire life. Behind him. Yeah, that was that was in, yeah incredible. He he turned him inside out. Megged the next guy and just killed him. I, I just I killed it, and then he went. He fired with his weak foot into the far corner. Weak like, foot. come on, man! Into far come corner. On. That is one hundred percent a candidate for goal of the season. It bloody well that, better be in all because that's, that's the that seventy-two million sensational skill right there. That's what that we is were exactly <laughs> what, because that's what because that's what he was doing for Lille against Man in League One. There's plenty of tape on him doing that. There's a reason why we bought him, and that is one of the major reasons why we bought him. When he is firing positively, when he's confident, when he believes in the God-given skill that he has, Nicola Pepe's unplayable. He's unplayable. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's Sorry, a good question. It, it brings up a good question because, okay, Pepe is a he's, a... he's a fresh 25 years old. He's been in the league. This is, what, his third season coming in there. It's good. No, second. No, the second no, season? Is, second yeah, in premiere, is, yeah. Second. He just got bought so, under Emery, and then, yeah, this is only okay, the second okay. season. This is his yeah. first full season under Arteta. Yeah, that's right. First full season, but second season in the in the Premier League. Yep. You're pay, y'all paid yep. 80, 70-something million pounds for him. 72. I 72. 72 mil. But you're not paying for one one match every every three, four matches. So how much longer are, how much more time is Arteta going to give him? No, I think he's doing well. He's doing what he, yeah. he's doing what he's asking him to do. So I, here's the here's the yeah. thing about Arteta. He's he's a practical man, right? I remember when he came in, he said everybody gets a shot. He he played. He gave everybody a, a chance to play. This man is still playing Willian. Like Arteta is not gonna um, he's not gonna bench you I because mean, you had one off day, right? He's going to he's going to try to win the game. He's going to do what he can, put the team on the field that but he believes it, is going to win the game. I mean, that's, sometimes that's a, that means Nicola Pepe. But William playing William is not practical because you're not winning with him. Well, so <laughs> William came true. on. William came on half uh, halftime in this match. Um, but that that's neither here nor there. 
the the where the question was about Pepe, and I'm just my, my only point was that you've got a coach who is not about throwing players in the bin. He's not, uh, you know, he's not the uh, your boy at Spurs and who kind of oh. ostracizes players. Um, and so, so I feel like, you know, if you apply yourself, you'll get a chance. That was my, that was my only, uh, my only point with bringing up William is like, he likes him for a particular reason and he keeps playing him. And because of that, I believe Pepe will always have a shot at making the match day squad. If he, if he applies himself and especially builds up his confidence, dude is a killer in Europa league. And yeah. you've seen him on the left-hand side for a, for a change. When he plays on the left, which is Oba's spot, um, he's actually had better games. That was, uh, no, so- and that was the thing about this match. I think, I, 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 my thing about Nico is it's a, a, it's a confidence thing. I honestly think he's, he's young. I think it's a matter of, like, playing with who he's comfortable with. You notice the difference with Saka and Smith-Rowe it's like the younger players that he probably, who knows, on the practice pitch, they might have more fun together. He just feels more comfortable with them. They flipped a couple times where Saka came to the right, uh, Nico went to the left. It's like this free-flowing thing. It just gives him more time. Also, to Ama's point and what he said about Arteta, you know, the thing about Arteta is, like, are you going to get back on defense? And Pepe, like, I remember the first year, I got frustrated with him, too, because it was yeah. like, bro, you lost the ball. You need to get back. But he's done better with that. And I'll even give, like, William had a surprisingly good second half on um, Sunday. He actually Sunday. was involved in a couple chances straight off. He played pretty – and you saw it. It's effort, just like you said. If Arteta sees the effort, he's going to give you a chance. And I think – Arteta is just like you said, practical guy. I think he has that connection with Edu, who's probably looking at the purse strings and technical director. There's a point where it's like, well, we're not getting this money back anytime soon. We got to make the best of this. Like, even if somewhere down the line we sell Pepe, we're never going to, we're not getting 72 back. Let's just be realistic. Right. He'd have to like right. blow up out of, like, he'd have to, I mean, if Arteta works him to a point where we can get the 72 or even above that, then Mikel Arteta gets a statue outside of Emirates because that's, yeah, like we're just, <laughs> like at this point, nobody, like even in the transfer windows, nobody says, well, they're talking about Nicolas Pepe. Like, no, we're not even, like, we can't even move him. Like, where are we going to? Like, like, like Schalke? Like, he's not going anywhere anytime soon. So we definitely have to make the best of it. And you see those flashes, like, and he's, showing much better effort he's almost at the point where it's like well dang when all like honestly that first half was like yo when Alba comes back who do you drop like it had me at that point because they were playing so well that first half like and I mean I know I know it's Wolves but Wolves is still a pretty good team and they look that good that it's like hey man this is if these guys are vibing do you throw that back in Especially Alba's had some struggles this year. I mean, I still respect the man. I love him. I'm glad he signed. But it, it, I, I was at that point in those first 35 minutes, like, man, when he comes back, like, where do you put these guys? How do you maximize that? Laka's playing better, like, so I think it's yeah. always going to be the effort thing. But I know we definitely, I, I, I know we touch on Arsenal a lot. I know we have to give credit to Man U this week setting records, Ooh. running Southampton out of town. Um, later on in the week 
Listen. I mean, I was watching Neil on Twitter. Like, I didn't even know what was happening. I'm like, why is Neil tweeting gifts of people counting? <laughs> like, what what is that about? And then comes up, like, then I got the ESPN alert. Like, wait a minute. Oh, Southampton. What 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 happened, Saints? What happened? Well, I mean, let's be clear. This is the this is another season where Southampton. I mean, because last season they lost to Leicester. You know, by similar numbers, not it wasn't nine nil, and then Southampton did score in that game. Um, but we kept them, you know, and there was a there were there were a few. I I will admit there were a few um, similar in the Arsenal Wolves match. There were a few questionable decisions that were made. There was a goal that was disallowed um, uh, by uh, VAR from Southampton that I think was uh, clearly onside. Uh, Che Adams really did a fantastic job uh, scoring that goal, um, and and David De Gea was nowhere near the net. So, but, you know, but it's in the past. But at the same time, <laughs> I am elated with the offensive prowess that we showed. I mean, it started when the newly minted Southampton player, uh, uh, young guy, um, I think it was a rush of blood, and he just was excited to play. And didn't realize that his studs were up, and he got it, and he was immediately sent off, and that just literally started, you know, kind of an unloading. We we you know United scored not uh, soon after that. Um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka got his first goal at Old Trafford, which is beautiful to see. Um, uh, and then the, the goals just continued, um, you know. Um, Scott McTominay scored. Uh, Cavani scored on a header. Rashford had a brace. Um, you know, uh, Bruno Fernandez scored another penalty, uh, or rather converted another penalty. Um, <laughs> uh, Tony, big Tony, uh, scored had a brace. Um, uh, Dan James, who we you know, at, I think at the beginning of last season because the Pepe. Uh, Transfer happened at the same time that the Dan James, so there were immediate um, comparisons made. And I remember last season, the you know the comparison was Pepe dances until he scores, but at least he scores. And Dan James is literally all pace. And you know um, that wasn't the case here. Um, you know Dan finally put one in the back of the net, which was good to see, great to see. Um, not his first goal at Old Trafford, but still beautiful scene, nevertheless. And was the icing on the proverbial nine nil cakes cake. Um, for those that are younger listening to our podcast, the last time that uh, United had a nine nil win was against Ipswich Town. Um, yes, Ipswich Town is a club, <laughs> um, uh, and that was you know in the late nineties, nineteen ninety five. Um, and probably most of soccer hooligan Twitter has was not even alive in 1995, um, so they have no idea that that happened. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, that was shade, by the way. Um, uh, so you know, I I was elated with the win. It from a goal difference perspective got us closer to City. Obviously, that's why. With this City Liverpool match coming up this weekend, uh, I want as, as as few goals scored, particularly by City, so um, we can continue to get closer and then eventually overtake them in points. Um, 
uh, not just in goal difference. So, you know, we are certainly, you know, we were certainly able to close that gap and I was really excited with that victory. Um, I know right. none of you have anything else to add to that. Good, good, <laughs> no, good job, wait, Southampton. Quick, good job. Way quick, to go. Quick, quick follow-up. Quick follow-up, Neil. I know you mentioned that earlier when we were talking about Liverpool City. You were like, I hope City just wins one nothing." Are you not rooting for, like, maybe the nil-nil draw as opposed to the one nothing win by City? Because, I mean, nil-nil means the goal difference stays the same and they only get a point as opposed to three. Um, Neil is a realist, Adam, and he knows that Liverpool are not going to win. <laughs> so, right. or a draw. Or a draw. I had the same question, and I did that, tr- that quick maths. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm trying to tell you, man, that the deal is thus. There's no need to hope for a draw of any description. Not none. Because City are going out there for the kill. They're top of the table. Since they've been top of the table, they have not what? I don't think they've fallen off the top of the table, no? They've held it. They've held firm nope. the since they got the The fact that they've only given up 13 goals is pretty impressive. Bruv. I'm going to give them that. That's uh, like... John Stones. Not just and, that, and but they are... Just don't say what you said the other week and we'll be fine. <laughs> but yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the whole point... <laughs> Because you are, you are still wilding out of control, and I need you to pull it in. I need you to rein it in, bruv. I'm not repeating what you said because I'm getting aggravated just thinking about it already. But the fact of the matter remains is that Man City actually are free-scoring when they want to be. They're more defensively responsible than they have ever been since Pep Guardiola took over. It's hard to see past City for the title at the moment. And Liverpool are doing what they usually do when they win the big one. They fall off in a big, big way. It goes deeper than the clock curse. That's definitely a factor. But Liverpool do this all the time. Remember when they won in Istanbul and they did it in such a way that they would still not shut the fuck up about? Like, now, you know, and now all of a sudden, do you understand? You, you turn around and they go back to the Champions League final against the same opponents that they turned over. And they lost comprehensively that time. This is what they do. They win the big one and then they fall off. And you don't hear from them for rhyme or reason for like a few years. Then they start getting plucky again. Then they get close to winning it and then they fall off again. This is Liverpool Football Club in a nutshell. And any Liverpool supporter who wants to fight me on it can fight with a book because it's in there too. So City are going to win on Saturday. That's my major prediction. And it's it's really not a prediction, as Paul Heyman would say. It's a spoiler. Well, this isn't a spoiler. We're going to talk about racism in football, and uh, we're going to talk about Uncle Ian, um, who isn't without his own faults as it relates to racism. See, twenty twelve, him calling a uh, a traffic officer um, a unsightly word, which we won't mention. Um, but, uh, he was disappointed, um, in, uh, after, uh, there, after, I guess, engaging, uh, with a Instagram post, um, or someone engaged with his Instagram post and levied racial abuse against him. And that individual got basically a slap on the wrist. Um, 
I don't know how everybody else feels about this, but I feel like when legends are involved in this level of racial abuse, particularly if they're not actively playing, the courts kind of treat these kind of situations a little differently. And I think potentially a little bit more leniently because they're not active players. So, you know, it's not that much of an impact to quote unquote the game. Right. Yeah. Um, I, 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 here, here's how I feel about it. Like as a black man in America, in the United States, I am not surprised when young white kids get slapped, slapped on the wrist for infractions. Um, I tried to read the article, but it was filled with so many uh, about the judgment in the case of racial abuse um, by this 18-year-old Irish kid. Um, I, and, and it, you know, he was, there's so many superlatives um, stated on behalf of the kid. He was such a good kid. He comes from a good family. Oh, this shouldn't, this, you know, this one moment shouldn't ruin his life, shouldn't be a blemish on his record. He's done his, he voluntarily gave 500 bucks to charity. He's a, you know, every possible excuse and option was taken to present this kid as an angel when he came out with the most vile abuse um, for no reason, right? I think he it was because of a video game or something or other, right? Like, it, the numbers didn't add up, and he was just upset. So, uh, and chose to express it in that kind of way. And we are teaching, we're, we're holding to the same, the rules that say white kids, um, white kids, just like Cal Rittenhouse, you know, they get to go home and do whatever, do you know, continue to gallivant around um, and do whatever they want after committing heinous crimes. They couldn't and, even find your boy Kyle Rittenhouse. They yeah. went to his address and couldn't even find him. The man killed people and shot other people, and they couldn't camera. even find him. Like, yeah. So I mean, that, that's what I mean. Like, we are. So I'm. Not, I'm not surprised. But Ian Ian Wright's statement at the end said, you know. As as a black person, I'm just tired. I'm I'm tired. We all are tired. Just like, you know, because one of the things I think that the the judge stated was that Ian Wright forgave him, right? And Ian said that I, you know, I forgave him for my own mental health, not because I didn't think he should suffer any consequences. He should not suffer any consequences. Like that's not the messaging at all. It was just like that's the right thing for my mental health. But y'all took it and ran with it and said, oh, yeah, you know, it's no biggie. And that's that's why I don't believe that racism surrounding football will be easily stamped out because we don't treat it seriously as a society. We don't treat it seriously in the stadiums and we don't treat it seriously outside. You can kneel all you want, <clears throat> put patches, whatever. Um, when the time comes for consequences, um, it just always seems to roll this particular way. For sure, for sure. Um, you know, uh, just to kind of echo Alma's point and then kind of transition a little bit, um, you know, we obviously don't condone uh, racism in any of its forms. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's not so, you know, as Amos so eloquently said, 
it's not surprising that another white kid got a slap on the wrist for some racist shit um, related to a black person. This is not surprising. Um, uh, you know, I somehow we're going to have to transition. I don't really have a transition, but you know, in La Liga, um, there was a title change. But I know uh, Joseph, you want but before we moved on to the uh, to the uh, title races happening across Europe, uh, you had something you wanted to add briefly. Um... Let's let's make this as abundantly clear as possible. I want every single person who's not British to stop acting like this isn't something that doesn't happen in Britain all the goddamn time. I've been on way too many protests for anti-racism, police brutality, things of that nature in the UK. I have been um, I have been party to too many of these stories. We're talking about a country who, for all intents and purposes, yes. The kid himself was from County Kerry, which I think is in Northern Ireland. I will double check that real quickly. But I mean, um, this is what they do. This is how they treat racism. They do not see it as something worthy of criminal conviction. Same thing they did with John Terry. He was criminally charged as well, if you remember rightly, and they let him off as well. It's the same story. The way that everybody rushed to Luis Suarez's defense when he played at Liverpool. The way that um, everybody, the way that everybody attacked James McLean for refusing to wear a poppy, it's all born from the same white nationalist sentiments. I need people to understand that just because you watch Bridgerton and Downton Abbey, and sometimes you might take in some of the classics like Keeping Up Appearances and Faulty Towers and Are You Being Served and and all them type of thing. They oh, you love the IT crowd, and you keep telling me that one joke that you know from the IT crowd. When you know for a fact that it was written by a notorious transphobe. We don't quote IT crowd business around here for that reason. Fuck Graham Linehan every day of the week. I'm tired of you lot acting like surprised that Britain is like this. As if Britain didn't grandfather the same racism that America perfected. Imagine that. Imagine that. Have we all forgotten our history? Have we all forgotten how nasty this is? That kid should be doing time. I don't care how much of a very, very good boy he is. He's 18 years old. He's a young man. As far as I'm concerned, if he said that stuff in the street, he'd be getting what? These hands, because they're what? Rated E for everyone. And I hope Uncle Ian has learned a valuable lesson as to being selective about who you forgive. I personally would never have forgiven that kid. Never. I don't care if he came to my yard and fell on his knees singing On Bended Knee by Bloody Boys to Men. I don't care. You do not forgive. Racist. Don't. Because they, you, they just use your forgiveness as a form of atonement. When you only forgave them for your own peace of mind. That's how much they're willing to take. You give them an inch, they take a mile. Do not forgive these people. Punish them. And if then they ask for forgiveness, then you can take that under advisement. But until then, stop forgiving these people. They showed you who they are. So as Dr. Maya Angelou once said, when people show you who they are the first time, believe them. That is my only 
thing that I want to say about this. Everything else is axiomatic. Armour touched on it perfectly and succinctly. Neil, your follow-up was perfect. But I just, from a British perspective, from a British expat perspective, I need everybody to stop acting like surprised when this stuff happens in the UK. Remember, it's the UK that taught you lot how to do the racist doggy. Anyway, that's it. Lolita. And, and you know, uh, before we get into the title races, um, we also don't forgive ableists. Shout out to Se uh, Section 8 Chicago. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Let's no. just go ahead and yeah. You you know what? We're already here, so let's go ahead and this. You want to reload the clip? I'll I'll reload it for you, fam. Do you want to go ahead and get that one in, or do we want to just move on? It's it. We're we're just gonna move eight, but Section Eight can holler at me when they want to see me, um, because they have a big because 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 they have a big fucking decision to make. And if that they really you know, do, and, and and you know, frankly, if they don't make the right decision, then I hope that supporter group crumbles to crumbles into non-existence. Um. Anyway, moving on. Um. You know, we obviously had several. Uh. You know, there's been several shifts in you know several different several different leagues in Europe. Um. Uh. From La Liga to Syria to um. League on. We're going to try to get through these as quickly as possible, but, you know, before we move into our next major segment, uh, the you know the January transfer window, and all the major shakeups that happened there. Um, you know, Atletico Madrid in the Liga is moving ever so closer to the title. Um, you know, Barca is playing better. Um, Sevilla and Atletico Club and even Real Madrid are certainly chomping at the bit, but Atletico Madrid is playing at another level. Um, they are solely focused on winning that chip, and I don't think there is a club in the top five that is going to come close to taking it from them this year. Yo, Neil, like, Neil. Man, no, real quick, I just want to say I gave credit to Man City for only giving up 13 goals, and granted, they've had 21 matches. Athleti, 19 matches, 10 goals. That's, like, insane. So, yeah. I was going to say, um, you know, one of the transfer things that happened was, like, Moussa Dembele. And um, with Joao Felix getting uh, COVID, um, you believe that he'll get more more uh more time on the field and a chance oh, to sure. show what he can do in an Atleti shirt. Cause that's like, that, that was a brilliant, uh, to me, I think it was a really good uh, signing and, you know, it's a statement of like intent on, you know, like you're going for this league. Um, and everybody knows how tight Atleti is at the back, but like, I, I like, I like the move. And um, even with the bad news about, about uh, the coronavirus, you know, it seemed like they had reserves uh, on deck in a timely fashion. So, oh yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, you're talking about a club that is definitely built for success, uh, not just in, not just domestically, but also for Europe. Um, so, for Champions League, anyone that comes against Atletico Madrid is gonna have to fucking watch out, like because they are, you know, 
the Musa trade was or transfer was one thing. I know it's a loan, but there's the there's hopefully they do buy him because I don't think he wants to go back to Lyon after the run of form he's had since uh, playing for Atleti. Um, and the conversion rate and uh, of goals, but then the midfield. I mean, as you said, Ahmad, the the back is already solidified. Um, the middle is deep. Um, obviously, Atleti at, at sent Thomas Partey to Arsenal, and you would think they would be out of their depth to do so, but they s- still have several midfielders that can certainly pick up the slack. And on the wings, right? You know, Carrasco uh, spent an spent a entire season away from the club um, playing abroad and now is back and is lighting the league up. Um, never should have left, in my opinion. Um, is going to do amazing in the Euros um, with his current run of form playing for Belgium. And yeah, I'm just riding on a high uh, as far as that as far as that lady is concerned. And you know, I, I didn't want to say it, but speaking of uh, unforgivable racists, you got Luis Suarez out there banging in goals left and right. <laughs> Keeping so, it current. <laughs> um, they're going to be solid. I'd let it. Uh, I let it go. I mean, isn't he just a replacement for the blackface dude? So it is what it is. You, you, we, we expect them to do what they're doing. All I know is is that it's 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 a, it's Atletico Madrid's title to lose. That is just it's as simple as that. It will take an almighty collapse for them to kind of give it up, especially with the kind of brilliant defensive football that Diego Simeone has at this point perfected. Like, I think it's worth saying at this point that he has perfected their style of play. Do you know what I mean? Like, everybody came in and talked about how negative Atleti was and things of that nature, but Diego Simeone is good at two things. One, gesticulating, and two making sure you don't score against him. <laughs> it's just what he does. So he's perfected that. He's definitely proven himself to be one of the top players turned managers ever. Like, And they're, they're looking at what? Their second La Liga title under his reign? No? This will be the second if they win it, right? In recent history. So, yeah. Uh-huh. This is what I mean. Like, it's their title to lose. Anybody else who wants it from them, they're going to have to really put in a shift in to take it. I also want to give a shout out to Unai Emery because he's done well with Villarreal. That's what I will also say. Not necessarily that they're in the title hunt, but my God, like he's turned that club around. I think he deserves full credit for that. So if we're talking about if we're, if but if we're talking about the title race. We can we can go ahead and wrap this puppy up right now and just go ahead and give it to, to Atletico Madrid. Nobody's taking it away from them. Oh, that's real. So what about other leagues? Uh, we I was talk just about, about to say, yeah, France, first time in a while that that's actually like a real title race. I know. It's about time. Sometimes, <laughs> it's, about time. <laughs> sometimes it's like PSG and like uh, maybe Lyon is keeping track and then the last 10 matches PSG runs away with it. PSG is in third right now. 
Um, it's uh, I think it's uh, who's leading right now? It's uh, I believe it's um, it's Leo. It's Leo out of nowhere. It's not Leo, and Leon is second. Um, twenty three matches played. Leo up top, two points ahead of Leon, three points ahead of PSG. Usual Monaco, who sometimes is the challenger to PSG. They're actually six points off the lead. Um, League On is actually very watchable this season in terms of just <laughs> keeping up with not just maybe PSG and waiting for them to collapse in Europe. Um, the, the Maybe a run from another team in the Europa League that usually fizzles out by the quarters. Um, actually quite the race down there in France, uh, the northern neighbors to our, our Spanish league that seems wrapped up. Shout out to Renato Sanchez, a.k.a. Jacquees, and shout out to uh, Tim Weah um, at Lille. I, I really like the club. I really like Lille a lot, um, and they've been playing extremely well, particularly those two players, so it's up to them. And if they keep this run of form, I mean, honestly, um, it's not like clubs like Marseille <laughs> going to catch anybody. Um, what a disaster what a disaster they've been having them man really thought that they can drop three of the most fire kits that I have ever seen in my entire life one of which has Pan-Africa colors because apparently Apple went ahead and opened that Pandora's box and now everybody wants to go ahead and cash in on the uh, Black Liberation colors be that as it may the kit looks fresh I'm just saying you picked a really interesting time to release your new shirts knowing full well that them men were going to be coming straight to your gates, like literally straight to your gate. <laughs> it's Wait, just how many an people were arrested? Mess going on. What, the, what's the, what was the thing? I, I think it was like 18 people arrested for like bum rushing the training ground. It's like the whole thing is a mess. Um, the I think they, they completely screwed the pooch on the transfer window, sold somebody and bought somebody they weren't supposed to the the coach didn't want and it's um dude that was sacked from chelsea under vs boas right is their manager and and he was um i think the news was that he was suspended uh, suspended because, suspended. Yeah, suspended because he he wants to quit like he's she's trying <laughs> to get out of there because like obviously y'all are not listening to me i'm trying to tell y'all like you you take my uh, star player you bring a guy i said no to at the last second, no consultation. Like, who's running this this team? You know, what I mean, you got random people running up in my yard. <laughs> I just, I just think it's a, it's a freaking disaster. It's a mess. Um, and there's, it's, so it's, local, it's embarrassing. So local police, um, and I, and I'm not entirely sure how French constabularies work. But local police said that 300 fans marched to the training facility. They apparently violently attacked officers who were trying to secure the area. Again, it's cops and cops lie. So take that with a grain of salt, would you please? Um, right. They are definitely they are definitely deeply unhappy at the way that the club is being run. They've been protesting their president, uh, Jacques-Henri, um, I think it's pronounced Erard. Um Who's, uh, they say that he has been ignoring the club's traditions for far too long. Um, obviously, Marseille released a statement after the uh, the violent scenes um, 
and, and I, I hope that the implied air quotes are made firmly obvious to everybody listening at the moment, but like they made 25 arrests and apparently seven officers were injured as they tried to restore order. <laughs> but here's where it gets very, very what? interesting. <laughs> what is going on? The club's owner, Frank H. McCourt, said that the scenes at Marseille reminded him of the scenes of the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building. Now, let me begin by saying, no, Frank, no, absolutely not. 100% no, uh, non, if you will, uh, if you speak French. Uh, niet, I believe, is a word that also springs to mind. Uh, no is a word that springs to mind. Um, uh, hell no. Is is something you know? As uh, if if you're familiar with the American colloquialism, no, mate, no. Those two things are not even one hundred percent. I mean, I've never heard of a bigger false equivalency, and the year just started. Like, no, no, it's not anything like the U the U.S. insurrection at the Capitol building. It's not because it wasn't a whole bunch of fascists that run up on the Capitol building or your football club in this instance. But that's also the man that ruined the Dodgers. So how much can you trust him? Like, that's really it. He doesn't really have the best judgment. So, and if we're on about fascists, then oh, might as well go ahead and take it on down to Italy. Who wants to go ahead and take the lead on that? One? <laughs> I mean, whew, what a transition there! My goodness, my goodness. And you're right, <laughs> fascism is definitely running rampant. Um, still in that country. And we're going to talk about that in extra time for sure. Um, but uh, you know, <laughs> the title race in Italy is just as exciting. Um, you know, it's literally, it, it is close. Several clubs are, I think only inter is really playing for the title because they don't have anything else to, they're, they're in, I mean, they only are playing for the, the, the Copa Italia at this point outside of that. They're not really playing for anything. So they have nothing to lose um, outside of losing the title and losing the cup. Um, and several of the other clubs in the top four are playing, playing in Europe still and have so many other things going on. And I don't know, y'all. Um, hey, I I'm think just happy Juventus is not going to like a decent chance that they won't win. That's right. Just boring yeah like number one and i mean let's just be right now just for everybody who might be listening as of our taping milan is top of the table with 46 points inter has 44 roma has 40 juventus has a game in hand 39 napoli also a game in hand at 37 but that's a considerable uh deficit to make up seven points they still got 18 matches to go but you know how it goes when people are on the top and playing well. It's, it's kind of hard to come back from. Yeah, I mean, Milan, they've had a really good start to the season. I mean, they've, they've had, they had a great finish to like the, the uh, previous season. And they've just kept building off of that. Um, even with, you know, an 80-year-old Ibrahimovic, who, you know, we won't speak of anymore because of his actions last week. But... Um, Fuck you. <laughs> But no, they have. I mean, they have a great side. They have a great side, Milan. Um, outside of him, obviously, there's uh, uh, Ch- Chananoglu. I think that's how you pronounce his name from Turkey, who is solid. 
Um, Rafael Leal from from Portugal, who's also great. Uh, they have the they have, you know, they have a, a great young mid, uh, midfielder in Tonali, who I wish yep. uh, was playing for Inter, but you know we have Barella, so I'm happy with Barella. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They have uh, Kessie, who's great. They have Benasser, that's great. And they've only lost they've lost the same amount of matches as Juventus, but I, I can't see them dropping you know seven points uh, at this point at this stage. And the fact that Juventus has Pirlo is inexperienced and his first season and the whole squad Juventus squad they're, they're older. It's a it's a mix of old and a mix of young and no experience in the middle. So it, it's going to be tough for them to come back. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's it's a Milan. It's a Milan fight to the finish, either Inter or, or AC. And unfortunately, Pirlo was frankly set up to fail, uh, at least this season, um, because you have a player manager in Ronaldo, um, who you know is Ronaldo. <laughs> you have um, several other players that should. Um, you know, you have Aaron, you know, you have Aaron Ramsey, who's been getting informing Juventus, who I know the Arsenal supporters uh, want him back. Um, we miss him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you have players like Rabio, you have, um, you know, they had some significant departures uh, over the past several seasons, but uh, they're not really, I don't think Juventus is really built for success right now. They have a bunch of pieces and a bunch of places that are kind of all over the place and they're kind of running on past glory. Um, and you know, they, they have been a mainstay in Italy for a very long time, just like PSG in France has been a mainstay for a very long time at the top. And it's about time, you know, th- frankly, it feels like the nineties again, because both Milan clubs are playing lights out. And the last time this happened was the nineties. And listen, um, not that I want to go back to the nineties cause I don't, <laughs> but it certainly feels like that from a uh, Syria top of the table standpoint. So, I tell you, I tell you, what's not refreshing is the Bundesliga, which you know has this as expected. You know, uh, Bayern Munich running away with it, and the only surprising thing is is that uh, Dortmund is not second. Um, and, yeah, yeah. As a, <laughs> you know, as a Dortmund supporter, it is unfortunate that we're not, you know, we're not performing. Ama, like, I, I, you know, I don't, and I think it has to do with everything kind of focusing going through Erling Holland. Um, it seems like whenever he is not playing, at, it seems like whenever Dortmund doesn't have a true number nine at the top. Um, not say that Holland is not that because he is, but he's not the only person we can feed the attack through, and they're and they're struggling. Um, I mean, then even Sancho just now, just recently, a couple of weeks ago, scored his first goal. Like, yep. it, it is really uh, underwhelming for folks who would support uh, Dortmund. Um, they're definitely underperforming. Meanwhile, you know, somebody like Cologne, who everybody expected to get relegated, is still fighting. Um, who else is up there? Leipzig. Leipzig, who's uh, who has a Champions League matchup with 
Liverpool that's under threat because of uh, COVID restrictions. Yep. Around travel. Yep. Uh, there's, there's there's more to uh, uncover there, but I feel like we've been doing this for a bit and we're due for a little break. So why don't you guys just hang around and um, we'll pay a few bills and we'll be right back. The goddamn sauce. Nine different flavors. Same goddamn feeling. Share our passion for sauce and discover the full goddamn range at www.thegdsauce.com. Hashtag Bows Up. So obviously, thank you for sticking with us. If you're still with us, thank you. Uh, we had an extra long, extra super packed um, around the pitch segment. And um, we, you know, obviously... The transfer, the January transfer window closed as of this recording. Um, there wasn't a whole lot, that, you know. The January transfer window doesn't really ha- is is not really built at this point for a whole lot of surprises. This season was really no different. Um, teams usually go out of their way to kind of get support where they need it and kind of fill kind of fill holes. They don't really try to like get any like prolific thing that is going to be a game changer. There were obviously some prolific changes. There were players who wanted out of clubs. Um, but we're now going to talk about some of our biggest surprises. I think for the Arsenal supporters, obviously, um, they're going to be ecstatic with Martin Odegaard. Um, uh, and I think he was a tremendous signing for Arsenal. Um, I, you know, he was a game changer for Real Sociedad. Um, he, um, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, obviously he's a Real Madrid player, player, so they had to coordinate with his home club. However, um, you know, depending on how he plays, I'm curious from the Arsenal uh, members of the pub, do you want to buy him after the season is over, well, pending the results of the end of the season? Yeah, I mean, this one was interesting. I think part of the way that they went through with it was Real is still like, no, we still want him in our future. I think I'm not sure Zizou and Real last another season considering what's happening, um, considering the history. And Zizou's a lot like, uh, I think uh, earlier we mentioned, Mourinho just kind of, if he's not feeling it, he just moves you out the way. He doesn't even give you another chance. So I think... Real moving to us on a loan is that the the people who are on the board are like, nah, we see him in our future. Maybe Zizu doesn't, but um, he's still in our future, which is why they didn't give us, you know, the loan uh, the loan that they gave us. There's no even an option to buy, not obligation, or it's not even an option. So I'm excited for these six months. I'm honestly happy about the fact that we have this good relationship with Real Madrid. Um, it used to be. It seemed to be. It used to be an Arsenal Barcelona relationship. You know, sending uh, Henri and Song, and I mean that's who we got Bayer in from. So, um, you know, it's a good thing. So I guess that's the new Spanish team that we got. So whenever they have somebody, they have extra use for that we can utilize. Honestly, Danny Ceballos has been up and down for us, but I, I like him when he's good. But now we get to see if Odegaard can help us out. I mean, Smith Rowe is coming along, but Odegaard has a bit more experience. So that was definitely the biggest surprise. And I mentioned all these Spanish teams. I feel like the Spanish teams, if if we're talking about biggest surprises, 
The Spanish teams always seem to have the best transfer windows, whether it's selling or buying players. They seem to have the best mm-hmm. scouting departments. I, I, I'm almost wondering why, like, they haven't, like, all those teams haven't been, like, pilfered for their scouting departments because they run right. some excellent scouting teams because they just make the best moves, scouting and transfers. I mean, every and, transfer window. And, 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 and speaking of that, Adam, because I certainly want your opinion on that. I want everybody's opinion on this. Um, Papu Gomez, right? Atalanta's, you know, kind of linchpin to their success in the Serie A kind of, kind of fell out with, you know, with the manager and uh, the leadership of that club, despite the fact that he was, you know, that he literally was a maestro for Atalanta, is now playing for Sevilla. For those that don't remember, Sevilla is, you know, in recent memory, you know, they are the club that does amazing things in the Europa League. Europa um, League, exactly. And adding a talent like a Papu Gomez, yes, it, who who can score goals from literally everywhere. Um, you know, Joseph and I have talked kind of ad nauseum about Atalanta's scoring ability and taking away him and adding him to Sevilla. Listen, listen. Um, I know Sevilla is currently in the Champions League as it stands right now, but if they fall out of the Champions League and come back to Europa League, Arsenal and Manchester United, listen, Manchester United lost, lost to them quite convincingly in the Europa League last season. and they've only gotten better. They've only added more weapons. So, um, Papu Gom- so Papu Gomez, first of all, that's a loss for Atalanta. Second of all, uh, Gian... Uh, uh, is it Piero? Gian Piero Gas- um, Gasparini. Listen, mate, you better hope to God that Papu Gomez doesn't do well at, uh, at Sevilla. Because if he does, that's an L for you, bro. Like, let's just go ahead and put that one out there right now. Because... That is a very exciting signing for Sevilla, who aren't short of attacking <laughs> attacking options, and certainly not short of playmakers either. But goddamn, did they not just sign one of the best for a bargain price as well? Five point five million euros, good. Heavens. Listen, listen. Oh, oh my, my god, <laughs> that's a highway drop. So you, so this that was definitely a petty sale on Gasparini's part because there's no way you should be allowing one of the central pieces to why you do so well in the Champions League to leave for any less than twenty million euros. That's just I don't. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he Holy was gonna crap. He was gonna go because he has he had issues with Gasparini. So either he was gonna leave for free or they had to get something out out from. So Sevilla, they 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 lucked up on that. Yeah, they and fair play to Sevilla for having that kind of transfer guy because they went, they smell blood in the water and they do what sharks do. Do you know what I mean? So we know how cutthroat the the the, the market is in terms also, of transfers and things of that nature. But and God, to give mighty five point five million. And euros. Sevilla to give credit to Sevilla, let's remember they're still in top four contention for La Liga. And in two weeks, I'm sure we're going to be discussing an amazing first leg of a Champions League match, but they're still in. Remember this, going against Dortmund, who's fighting for their life in Germany, mm-hmm. honestly might be playing real hard in the Champions League because, hey, if I'm sixth in Germany, 
So they have to get the reinforcements, and that move is amazing for the price. Like, they have to get the reinforcements, keeping the top four place in La Liga, maybe getting as deep as they can in the Champions League. I mean, you know, maybe not winning it, but, you know, I mean, it's still a business. You get bonuses the further you go. Um, and they're trying to, do, and I mean, also the spirit of Sevilla is nah, we're going to try to win every match. I know there's that the business of the mm. board might say, Hey, we're trying to make as much money as possible. But the, on the, on the, on the pitch side, they're still like, nah, we're going to try to win every match. And honestly with that squad, especially champions league, it's who plays the best that day and you can win it. And that's those matches. I mean, now we're going to talk about it in two weeks when they get to play, but man, Sevilla, like I said, the Spanish teams just seem to do the right things. Like the scouting and transfer departments just seem to always be on all cylinders. And Sevilla is one of the best ones. Villarreal is another one that seems to do pretty well as in the same same type of um, landscape. I'm also going to go ahead and point this one out as well. I think Etienne Capoue is definitely worthy of mention. Um, arriving at Villarreal because as as um as the as people love to banter so bloody much. Yes, Unai Emery loves a defensive midfielder, but in this game, you should you should love a defensive midfielder because boy, Arsenal was struggling until Thomas Partey came to the to to the yard. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? I think we should have gotten somebody like Kapoue, especially as Watford were going down. Like we should have went ahead yeah, and him, him taken Kapoue right? off their like, hands. I think we we mentioned we might have mentioned this on that uh. On, our, on that episode about Everton, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. Well, yes. well, no, we were talking about, like, so we mentioned Kapu and we're talking about um, grabbing players who are, who are um, from relegated sides at the end of last season. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I, th- I think no, I absolutely. That. Because I remember Decore, because I, I remember thinking Decore... Etienne Capu and yeah. um and the yeah, um what's the name the the Senegalese kid that that scored Sar. two on Liverpool Sar. yeah it's my it's my Lassar. yeah exactly those were my picks from that club um, yeah and you were dead right to mention Capoue I think I agreed with you on Capoue and definitely Decore we were definitely we were definitely on the on the page of Decore and then Everton went ahead and got him but look man. Villarreal have now Danny Pare- uh, Parejo, um, the former Valencia legend. You've got Francis Coquelin, who, as Adam pointed out, I miss every single day. Hey. You understand? And now they have Etienne Capu. Come on, man. That's And they're doing well on three different competition fronts. Like, again, you can make as many Unai Emery jokes as possible, but the one thing you cannot clown him for is his managerial abilities. He's good. It might not have worked out at Arsenal, but that does not make him a failure. He's, look how he's, he's, he's still in Europa, and that's why he got hired other places, because he took Sevilla to, what, two Europa League titles? And he's got three, the, I yeah. Oh, three. Three. And he's still got... Villarreal is still playing. They got Salzburg in the, in the next match, so... Yeah. I mean, well, ultimately, that's, you know, that's his level. <laughs> Which is why I didn't work at Arsenal because they have higher ambitions than that. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say you know one was really there were two real surprises for me. Well, one real big surprise. The other one was like, okay, it makes sense. Um, first big surprise, I think Ben Davies going to Liverpool was just a surprise. Was like, I know y'all need to help that bad, but Ben Davies, all right, come on, man, what was going on here? 
So that's one big Preston North End. When yeah. Squadron Mustafa was right there. <laughs> yeah, listen, that man should have taken the punt on Mustafi. What are you doing going to PNE to get a backup, my lord in heaven? <laughs> so that's one. And then I think um it's not really a surprise, but uh uh Willie and Jose to two wolves. I mean Willie and Jose he's, he's Portuguese, he goes to Wolves. That's not a surprise practically exactly. <laughs> Wolves is practically like Lisbon in the bloody Midlands. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like it's just it's what it is, you know. I'm sorry, like, he's Brazilian, he's not Portuguese, but you know Okay, but he speaks it. Portuguese, so he'll feel right at home. So it's not right. even a thing. Like it's not a problem. Not a problem at all. <laughs> then men have Fabio Silva already up front for them, you know what I'm saying? Like right. they it, it's it's not an issue. The managers port the manager speaks Portuguese. About th- three or four of them men speak fluent Portuguese. Look, listen, it's not a problem at all. Didn't think that Wolverhampton of all bloody places would become little Portugal, but here the fuck <laughs> we are. So like, we don't get it, but it's happening. So, no, also, Nuno, Nuno knows what he likes in, 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 down right. in Wolverhampton. He, he's looking at Williams he, next, I'm sure. Oh, listen. Please. Amen. Amen. I, could, I would only Free be transfer. too happy Free for transfer. him to go to Wolf. I would only be too happy because Just that's the wages. That's two years of wages that we don't have to worry about. Yes, please take him. Anyway, take the um, wages, please. Take that, take that, take that. Like, I don't get me wrong, he's trying, and I can see that, but it's just not going to work out if this is the best that we're going to get for the next two years. Anyway, Moussa Dembele. I'm not surprised that he went to Atletico Madrid, but I'm pleased that he is, you know, I mean, I don't know. Would I rather seen him continue to play with Memphis Depay at Lyon? Or do I see him go and play for Diego Simeone and lead the line and put Diego Costa out of a job? I, I, I kind of like. Well, I, I kind of like both. I mean, to 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 your point, Joseph. Like, um, as I was talking about in our last segment, coming coming out of break, we were talking about Atletico Madrid, like climbing the table, being far and away the best team in Spain right now, and a lot of that has to do with the transfer of Musa Dembele and. Uh, passion for converting goals, particularly on the counter. Uh, Manchester, you know, uh, Jonathan's Manchester City knows all about uh, Musa Dembele converting goals on uh, counter attacks um, <laughs> and, ma- and making it look easy. Uh, uh, see why? Why am I in the middle of all this? What, what I, I do? You're, you're not, but you, but but I know you are elated that he's not playing for Lyon <laughs> and, and, and playing for Atletico Madrid right now. <laughs> um, uh, because I know that memory is etched in your brain. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, Musa, and I, you know, Atletico was already building on success. And, you know, as Ama mentioned earlier, like with the, you know, with Jao Felix being taken out by COVID, and, you know, moving forward, I think we're going to do. Uh, tremendous things, not only in Europe, but obviously domestically as well. And adding Musa and hopefully uh, completing the trans- completing a full transfer and having him transfer good in the summer is going to be great. Um, I think additionally, um, I'm looking at Lyon and I'm looking at players like Mem- Memphis Depay, who's out there on an island now. Um, I'm looking at um, Aurora, 
who has is going to get a lot of suitors in the summer as well. And Lyon might be, um, unless they can come up with the money, they may be out of two of their best offensive threats in the summer. Um, in addition to losing Musa Dembele uh, this you know this past January. So this is this is kind um, of what I'm worried about with Lyon imploding because they seem to be resurgent. Do you know what I mean? And I I, I didn't really envision Musa Dembele decided to go ahead and take a, I guess, a backup job, to be honest, to uh, certainly not to Luis Suarez, that racist twat. But I mean, at the end of the day, Jao Felix, he was, he was, Jao Felix is still their number one talisman. I believe that, you know, and it was, it was Suarez that was brought in to be the backup. I don't like the fact that Musa Dembele is a backup to Suarez of all bloody people. But at the end of the day, He's not going to be there for much longer. So if it doesn't happen for Musa this season in, in, in Athletic Colors, it'll happen for him next season. So I'm confident that it still would turn out to be a good move. I'm just not expecting any immediate things from him. But still, good chance for Guile from Athletic Madrid to go ahead and pick up one of the best strikers in the game. And he's going to get you goals. So again, it's Athletic Madrid's title to lose. Anyway, when we get back, you know what time it is. Armour's brainchild. Extra time. Stick around. We're going to pay a few more bills. We'll be right back. The goddamn sauce. Nine different flavors, same goddamn feeling. Share our passion for sauce and discover the full goddamn range at www.thegdsauce.com. Boss up. It's extra time. Time, y'all. Um, and normally, under normal circumstances, um, we would be each going to, to, to everyone in the pub and doing 60, you know, 30 to 60 seconds on something that really touched them this week. But there was a story that I think was impactful to everyone. Um, that I, not that we couldn't find anything, but I just thought it was impactful that we all had to talk about. And <laughs> it was found out. Um, <laughs> oh, um, that uh, Lazio's or Nazio, um, uh, Nazio <laughs> SP, um, have in their youth team, uh, Musa, I'm sorry, Mussolini's. That's right, Mussolini. They have Mussolini. If there was a Musa on Grand- Lazio, well, Musa on Lazio would be a whole different topic. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure that because this is this is as impactful as it is hilarious because there's because there's just going to be non-stop banter about this for days. Um, Benito Mussolini, the infamous um, founder of fascismo, uh, now known as fascism uh, in Italy, um, and was once their fascist leader during World War Two. He had a few kids, you know what I'm saying. Um, you already know who his granddaughter is. Um, his, I believe, yeah, his granddaughter. Um, that happens to be Romano Floriani Mussolini's mother, as I just discovered. Alice, 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 a member of the European Parliament. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so Alessandra, Alessandra Mussolini who has basically made a name for herself by being loud and wrong all the goddamn time. Um, 
certainly in defense of the indefensible, which is, you know, her whole grandfather. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't see anything on uh, Romano's political leanings. But again, we know that Lazio has a very, very ultra-fascist, ultra... Say it right, Nazio FC. Nazio FC. Yeah, yeah, Nazio FC. I mean, <laughs> very infamous. Very, very infamously, they had um, oh, what was his name? He played for West Ham uh, back in the day as well. Paolo Di Canio. Um, thank you. Remember the fascist salute that he did when he went back to Lazio? You remember that? How can we forget? Yeah. Yep, that was the thing. Yep. So. Let's just go ahead and rumble through really quickly the family ties. Um, there is a politician, or I guess you can call him a politician, but he's like more of a lecturer now. Um, another one of uh, Benito Mussolini's great grandkids is running for a seat in European Parliament, or did in 2019, I should say. Um, as Adam pointed out, I believe he won it, but I still need to double check that. But his no, name. No, no, So I was pointing out his mom. Alessandra is a member oh, of the right. European Parliament. That's oh, currently. she is. She <laughs> is as a member of Forza Italia, which is a center-right party. So, yes. And the party founded by former Prime Minister Berlusconi. Um, Alice, Alessandra is actually a former member of the European Parliament, it turns out. Um, she served for Forza Italia, um, but she is no longer all bad. Which is all bad, right? Anything that it's Bro real bad. Touched, like got got gonorrhea. Like it's bad. So the kid who is playing on the right wing, because you can't make this shit up, can you? Like his literal position a... is right winger. Where else could he play? He can't even be center-right. He can't be center-right. He'd have to be a center-right back. Like, that's oh, my way. God. Yeah, it's but the, so terrible. Like It's the, bad. Uh, it, it's just <laughs> the worst. It's, it's like, uh, uh, jokingly, you make a joke, like, of course he plays on the right wing, and then you go look it up. I'm like, oh, my God, he does play on the right. That's the worst, worst possible moments. Like, bro, are you self-aware in any kind of way, shape, or form? Probably not. He has, however, he well, he has said, unfortunately, um, that he hopes to make his uh, debut for the Primavera one day, which is the Italian national team. He says that here at Lazio, I'm judged only for the way I play and not because of my surname, which is Mussolini. There is there is no way Mussolini will be playing for the Italian national team. No way. Even that, ESPN remembered. That would be fucking hysterical. Listen. Listen. Oh my he god. He would have to be he would have to score every time he touched the ball to play for Italy. Like it'd be like, oh, you're in the penalty? Can you imagine what kind of score. Can you imagine what kind of can you imagine what kind of PR they that the Italian national team will need if they call this boy up? Like whew, Lord. Like but he has said Oh, wait, no, that was De Canio that said that. De Canio said that he's not a fascist and he's not a racist after doing the, the thing. Um, he's, uh, has since, he has since said that he was misquoted. All right. Um, now, Romano 
he hasn't signed a professional contract with them. He's just part of the academy. Um, but still, like, it's going to be it's 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 going to be it's going to be it's going to be interesting. I think. But go ahead, Armand. Now, the only thing I was going to say was just like you know my my normal extra time for today was was going to be um, a single. So I'm sure everybody knows about NPR Tiny Desk now, and but I stumbled yes. a, across um, a particular performance that I that really um, struck me, um, and I wanted to leave the uh, banter pub massive with these with this this particular performance. It's by Nubaya Garcia, um, a Tiny Desk at Home. So during the pandemic, and she um, she's a saxophone player. And the music is amazing and um, kind of the right kind of bomb I need um, during these crazy COVID times. Nubaya Garcia. Um, her first name is spelled N-U-B-Y-A. Yeah, look her up. Fire. Yeah. You'll probably need it. Um, certainly after going over that headache. Um of all the uh, racismo that we've seen in football for the last couple of weeks. Um, just to quickly touch on what I was saying about the Primavera, that's actually the name of Lazio's under-19 team. Um, so, but still, if he turns out to be a talent for them, and then he you know, eventually gets called up to the senior side, and then by some virtue of you know, some really bad, like... Um, Game of Thrones type style writing. He decide he becomes like called up to the Italian national team. On top of that, oh lord, I don't like. What do you put on the back of his shirt? Surely just Floriano, not Mussolini. You don't put Mussolini on the back of that shirt. Surely not. Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't. Um, but with that, uh, you know, we want to thank you for listening to another fantastic episode of the Banter Pub FC. We are obviously still the sauciest uh, team on, in the game. We obviously have the spiciest takes on the pitch. Uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Banter Pub FC. If you like what you hear, please rate, uh, comment, and subscribe on all of your streaming platforms where you listen to podcasts. We are on them all. So please rate us, subscribe, and keep listening. And uh, for Jonathan or Adam or Ama, for Joseph and for myself, Neil, uh, we will see you next time at the podcast.